Well, good morning. It is a good morning. Thank you for saying that. Uh, my name's Steve. I usually preach at our Carmel campus, but I'm really glad to be back with you today. Uh, open your Bibles, turn on your Bibles, whatever you do with your Bibles, to pay, uh, James chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one of these on the floor around you, and it's page 848 in this Bible right here. James 3 is where we're going to start. As we begin, I want to ask you a question. What do you think is the most powerful muscle in your body? A lot of different answers. I've heard uh, three different answers that I want to talk about, because if you ask a, an athlete or you ask a personal trainer, they would probably say, it's your butt. Uh, your butt is useful for jumping and squatting and lifting things off the ground and running, and it's very important for an athlete. I know um, I, I've, many of you know I'm a runner, and I, at one point in my life I had a running coach, and she always told me, uh, strong butt is a happy life for a runner. And so I've just, I've, that's a motto that I've just lived by. It's like become my life verse, kind of. Strong butt is a happy life. But uh, it's important. Uh, your butt is important in a lot of different things. And really what I wanted to do is just see how many times I could say butt before you guys send me back to Carmel. <laughs> But, 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 but. I'm going to stop talking about butts right now. Gluteus Maximus, right? It's got a great name, doesn't it? It just sounds big. Doesn't Gluteus Maximus sound like it would be a character from the movie Gladiator? Like, now entering the ring, Gluteus Maximus. Right? Of course, some of us are Gluteus or more Maximus than others. Okay. Now, if you ask a medical doctor, they might have a different answer. The medical doctor might say that your heart is the most powerful muscle in your body. You know, your heart is only about the size of your fist. Did you know that? If you take your heart and your fist with your thumb like that, it's about that size in your chest. So however big your fist is, it's about how big your heart is. And, uh, but as small as it is, it takes about, it squeezes with about as much pressure. Every time it, it pumps, every time it beats, it squeezes with about as much pressure as it takes to squeeze a tennis ball, right? And it does that for the average person 70 times a minute, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, um, every time, uh, every minute, it moves five to seven liters of blood throughout your body, which means uh, in the average lifetime, the average person's heart beats two and a half billion times and moves 200 million liters of blood. Now, 200 million liters, if you don't, if you're not savvy with the metric system or you can't picture that, 200 million liters of blood in your lifetime is enough to fill 80 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's how much blood your heart moves uh, in a lifetime. The heart is a powerful muscle. But as some of you pointed out, if, if your only guide was the Bible, I think you might come up with a different answer for the most powerful muscle. It's a muscle that has the ability to build up or tear down kingdoms and countries. It can grow or destroy relationships. It can win and lose wars. And scripture tells us it cannot be tamed. So maybe the most powerful your muscle in your body is the tongue. And that's what James is going to talk about today, because our words can be used to build up and destroy. When I think about the power of our words, I can't help but think about those moments in my life where someone has spoken encouraging words to me. You know, words uh, like, well done, I'm proud of you, I'm thankful for you, I love you. I know there was a time in my early 20s where my dad came to me and we're just intentional about this. And he came, came up to me and he said, Steve, I want to tell you something. Uh, I had a lot of expectations for you growing up. And I just want you to know you fulfilled every expectation I ever had for you. I'm proud of you and I love you. You don't have to do anything to prove uh, yourself to me. And for me, can you imagine as a young adult what that meant for me to have my dad just affirm me and bless me like that? It was powerful, right? 
but I can also think of hurtful words I've received. You know those words that you try to forget and as much as you try, they keep coming back to you and so you'll be in a moment where you fail at something or you, you forget something or um, you uh, can't accomplish what you think you want to accomplish and those words come back to haunt you. Words like you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, I think you'd be better in a different role, like you're, you're a failure. So words like these are not easily forgotten. They, they have the potential to follow us all throughout our lives. We've got words that can build us up and words that can tear us down. And unfortunately, I've certainly said hurtful words, words I regret. It makes me sad to think about some of the things that I've said inside the walls of my home to my family, to my wife, to my kids. And usually I'm tired or I'm angry or I'm hungry. But that's not an excuse, right? And we've all heard the phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Have you ever heard anything more untrue than that? Isn't it true that words sometimes hurt more than physical pain, right? More than physical ailments. There are few things that are harder to control and carry more weight than our words. So as Kevin said, we're continuing in our series called Against the Grain. We've been looking together at a letter from the New Testament uh, from a guy named James. Uh, James was the little brother of Jesus. And during Jesus's ministry, many believed that there was a rift or a, some conflict between Jesus and James. Um, but all of that changed when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to many of his followers, including James. And then not only did James believe Jesus was who he said he was, but he went on to become a key leader in the church in Jerusalem. In fact, James was so convinced about who Jesus was that he was eventually martyred for his faith. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have any brothers, so I can't answer this question. But what would your brother have to do to prove to you he was the son of God? Knowing what he did to you as a kid, it'd probably be a lot, right? And knowing that James and Jesus had this conflict, I mean, how must have James gone through that process of realizing his brother was who he said he was? But he does. He eventually comes to that point. And then before James died, he wrote this uh, letter to the first century church, uh, Christ followers who had been forced from their homes and scattered. We said the first week they'd been scattered uh, throughout the known world. They'd been driven from their homes and their communities as a result of persecution and just rough tweet, treatment from uh, towards Christians in Jerusalem. And so he wrote this letter, which we now call the book of James. It's captured in our Bible to help these Christians who are scattered throughout the world grow in their faith and as a way of encouraging them and how to live in this difficult world. All right, so today we're gonna to explore these words from James about the importance of our words and the impact that they can have. James realizes that these Christians are living around people who didn't know Jesus, who maybe didn't follow Jesus, maybe didn't have the same moral values as they had. And so he's going to instruct them. He's gonna He's going to teach them how our words can have influence and make sure that they're being sensitive to what words that they use. And so while James had to say this, uh, had to say these words to Christians 2,000 years ago, they're still relevant for us today as well. As followers of Jesus, every day we have an opportunity to influence others. And we might be intentional with it or we may be unintentional, but the truth is that the words we use say a lot about who we are and what we believe and what's important to us. So we're going to look at this passage from James chapter 3 together. As we've been doing during this series, we're going to read this passage together first. So if you're able, I would love if you would stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read James 3, 1 through 12. It'll be on the side screens here. So let's read this together. Ready? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. 
when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Our words can influence and affect people in many ways, ways that we don't always see or understand, and James knows this. And so today, we're going to talk about how every one of us has the potential to influence people, both positively and negatively, through our words. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this scripture. And even as I read it, I cringe a little bit knowing the repercussions this has in my life. So Lord, um, help us to cringe a little more when we hear what you have to say about it. Help us to take seriously what your words say, and not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. Give us what you'd have us take away from your scripture today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I have a seat. Man, I do. Is it, even as I read that, uh, my hairs start to stand on end on the back of my neck, and I start to think about like the implications this has in my family and, and uh, in, in my neighborhood and in my workplace. And um, it's so true. And so we're going to take this scripture apart, look at it verse by verse, and see what James has to say to us today. So hopefully you'll be open to that. I pray that your heart is open to what he has to say. James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because we know that we who teach, you know, that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Jesus makes it, or James makes it clear that teachers of the Bible are held to a higher account. And um, that's the first thing that makes me cringe when I read this, because I'm up here on this stage, and this is uh, part of what I do. And so I know that I am going to be judged more strictly than other people. Now, maybe you think, good for you, Steve. I'm glad that that's you up there and not me. But I just want to make something clear for you. In James's day, you could say a teacher was anybody with a platform. And a lot of Christians, especially if they were the only Christian in their area, part of their responsibility, part of their life was to go share the gospel with people. They had influence on people. They had a platform to do that. And so they were teachers of the scriptures, right? A teacher is someone who has the privilege of speaking into the lives of lots of other people. If you have people you influence in your life, you have a platform. Now, people listen to your words. Your words have the ability to influence. Now, where are my parents in the room? Parents, raise your hand. You may think your words don't have an influence, (laughs) 
because when you say them, nothing happens. <laughs> Amen? Uh, but your words have influence on people. You have family that you influence. You have friends that you influence. Maybe it's people at school that you have influence with. Maybe it's people at work. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Right? There's a lot of places where we have influence. But how about this one? Many of us have a platform that's bigger than any platform that James ever envisioned in his day. I'm talking about social media. Things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Social media allows us to reach many, many more people at one time than James could ever reach, right? At any one time, we can speak to a potentially enormous audience. We have a platform, and anything that we say out on our platform turns us into teachers. It means we're speaking into people's lives. And in fact, today, I think if James were writing this today, he might have written, not many of you should become tweeters, my fellow believers, because you know that we who tweet will be judged more strictly, right? Because we have the ability to influence a lot of people through what we do. I mean, think about this. Think about social media. Think about this platform that we have. Uh, it's not all bad, right? But every day we see evidence of how it's misused and abused. I mean, there have been countless examples, even just this year, of how destructive and abusive words can be on social media. I mean, how many times do you get done spending a half an hour on Facebook and walk away thinking, wow, I feel so much better about myself and my life and the world that I live in? Never, right? It never happens. And we're all guilty. The truth is all of us contribute to the chaos and the vitriol that's so prevalent in our culture today. And the same thing was true 2,000 years ago, as we see in the next verse. Here's what James says, at least to some extent. James 3, 2, he says, we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. And then he goes on to use this example. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James says, if you can keep your tongue in check, it means you can take the, keep the rest of your body in check. And so conversely, if you can't keep the rest of your body in check, you're not keeping your tongue in check, no matter what you think. So if you can say no to that second cookie, right? If you can turn your eyes away from that thing you're not supposed to look at, if you can turn off in your ears that thing you're not supposed to listen to, if you can do all those things, then maybe you have an opportunity to control your tongue. But James says, I've been guilty of this too. In fact, some have suggested that hurtful words were maybe part of the reason that James and Jesus had this rift in their lifetime. Now, it may be the time that James was part of a crowd that tried to throw Jesus off the brow of a hill. That might have had something to do with it. We don't know that James was there, but we can assume that by reading scripture. But we know that there may have been harsh words. It may have been one of the ways that James um, opposed his brother Jesus. And so maybe he's making a confession here. Like this is part of his admission that he's seen firsthand the damaging impact of our words. And for that reason, James is gonna double down as he knows our words are a big deal. And so there are a couple truths that we're gonna take away from this scripture. And we see the first one here. If you've got the notes card on your way in, you can write this down. Or if you don't, if you have the Genesis Church app, you can uh, take notes on the app there. There's a place to do that on sermon notes. But here's the two truths that I wanna talk about. The first one is this, our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. James is going to go on with a couple of examples to show us how much influence our words really have. And he's going to call specific uh, recognition to our tongue, maybe the strongest muscle in our body. Verse 3, he says this, When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. First, James says, uh, our words are powerful like small bits that we put in horses' 
mouths. There's a small piece of metal that when we place it squarely in the horse's mouth, uh, a person riding on top of that horse can control it and, and take it wherever it wants to go. And so uh, you put this bit in the horse's mouth and a 90-pound jockey can make this 1,000-pound horse go wherever he wants it to go. And James is trying to explain how our tongue is like that. You have this little bitty muscle that can have a huge impact on our lives. It can, it can make or break you. It can opening, open promising doors or slam them shut. It can help people or hurt people. It can guide your actions. It can build up a relationship or tear it down in just a moment. So James uses this example of a bit in our mouth, and then he uses this other one of a, of a ship, of a giant ship. Not, not a boat, not a paddle boat, but a ship, like an ocean-going vessel. Think of something like the Titanic. Did you see in the news this week that they're making a Titanic 2, by the way? Not the movie, that would be a disaster. Uh, the actual ship, they're, they're building a ship called the Titanic 2. Check, check, check this out. This is actual rendition of what the Titanic 2 would look like. I mean, who's going to sail on this thing? I, I'm not going on that, right? It looks beautiful, but I'm not going on it. Uh, here, here's here's uh, some stats on the Titanic 2. Fully loaded, it will weigh 56,000 tons. It's 888, or 880 feet in length with a 64,000 horsepower engine. It can hold 2,435 men and women plus a crew of 900 with hopefully a lifeboat for every one of them. <laughs> and to think that this massive ship, this 56,000 ton ship is steered by a relatively small rudder that directs it through the wind and raves, ho waves, hopefully around the icebergs and uh, through the sea. Right? James says, our tongue is like the rudder on this giant ship. Our tongue has the ability to produce words that have the same influence of our body, on our body that the rudder has on a giant ship. They can steer our body. I mean, think about it. One word or comment or tweet or Facebook post might seem like a little thing, like a small thing, but it can steer something big. One, one comment can ruin somebody's reputation. One word can fracture a relationship. One sentence can destroy someone's career. Our words are powerful. And so James doesn't end with that imagery. In imagery he goes on. He says this, uh, verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And as we read that verse out loud, I heard somebody say, Wow, out loud. And I read that and I go, wow, wow, that, that the tongue is a, a, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And, and when I read this, I can't help but think about the wildfires uh, that are going on in California right now. If you follow the news much, you can't help missing those stories. Um, I think 71 people dead in those forest fires um, so far, and it's hard for me to comprehend how massive they are and how quickly they spread and how they destroy homes and lives. And then think this, how often is the source of those fire just one small spark, one, like one isolated incident, whether it's intentional or unintentional, one spark. And James says the same is true for our words, that, that, that our tongue, that one isolated statement, one isolated comment, I, you didn't mean any harm. But before you know it, it can spread out of control. And, and so if the horse and the ship and the fire didn't convince us, 
Uh, James is going to use one other set of imagery, verse 7. He says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. When I think of deadly poison, I can't help but think about snakes. Like, I hate snakes. And to me, every snake I see is filled with deadly poison. If I find a garter snake on my sidewalk that that's long, deadly poison. I'm staying away from it. Honey, can you please come get the snake off the front porch? Because it's deadly poisonous and I'm not touching it. Uh, I remember running out one time. I ran and I, as I was up in the air, I saw a snake across my path that I think my foot was going to fall on. And I somehow supernaturally propelled myself through the air about 50 feet down the trail because I didn't want to step on a deadly poisonous garter snake. <laughs> but James says that the tongue is full of deadly poison. He says, if we're not careful with our words, we can easily find ourselves spewing venom all over the people all around us. And he calls our careless words a restless evil, deadly poison, capable of ruining lives, and sadly enough, capable of ruining our reputation, capable of ruining our witness for Jesus Christ. Do you remember the uh, Starbucks cup controversy a couple years ago? I think it was 2015. I remember this, where they came up with a red cup. I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but it was started, the rage was ignited by one person, a man by the name of Joshua Feirstein. He single-handedly started the cup controversy by posting a Facebook message saying, Starbucks removed Christmas from their cups because they hate Jesus. That was his message. And, and he tagged media to attract attention, and he also claimed Starbucks employees were forbidden to say Merry Christmas. And without fail, the outrage cycle began, and Christians everywhere started boycotting Starbucks. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I boycott Starbucks anyway, not because I don't like the company, but because I don't drink coffee, and so I don't feel the need to go spend $7 on hot chocolate. Um, but Starbucks fired back and assured Christians everywhere that their employees were welcome to say Merry Christmas and insisted that the company did not hate Christians. And there was an article that came out just in the last week, and it was called, It's Christmas Time time again for the Starbucks cup controversy. Isn't it great that that's the reputation that Christians have? This article said this. He said, the reality is that Feuerstein tried to use Christian outrage to raise his platform. But the sad reality is that his Facebook message could not have been more untrue because the truth is this. In the past six years, Starbucks has never put the words Merry Christmas on its holiday cups. Instead, it's always used wintry language and ornaments that say things like joy and hope and illustrate things like snowmen and holly. It's so sad. Like one Facebook post and all sorts of outrage follows. I like what Ed Setzer says. He's a pastor and author, and he has a, a new book out. It's called Christians in the Age of Outrage. And he says this, No, Starbucks did not hate Jesus, but some folks sure seem to enjoy embarrassing his followers. And by the way, Starbucks employees were never told they could not say Merry Christmas, but that's not their job anyway. That's our job. It's the Christian's job to tell people about Jesus, not the barista who may be Jewish, secular, or whatever. Small spark, great fire, deadly poison. It's a small muscle, the tongue, but it's capable of incredible devastation. I mean, think about how you have been forever impacted by the words of others. Maybe it's gossip. It's not true, or maybe there's a little bit of truth to it, but it ruins your reputation. Maybe it's lies. Maybe it's condemning words. 
Maybe it's hateful words. Maybe it's belittling words. Maybe it's misogynistic or racist words that come out of somebody's mouth. Hurtful, careless words are harmful. Unfortunately, they shape and they influence us in the moment and potentially forever. James goes on, verse 9, he says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James reminds us of this. He, he reminds us that not only are our words powerful, but the second truth that we get from this passage that you can write down if you want is this. Our words are revealing. Our words are revealing. They reveal who we are. The type of water we find flowing from a, uh, from a well tells us something about that well or that spring. The type of fruit we find growing tells us something about the tree. Our, our words, in the same way, put on full display, they reveal what is going on inside of us, in our hearts. You know, James didn't make up this imagery. He got this from somewhere. I'll show you where. His brother Jesus said it like this in Luke 6. No good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Does that sound familiar? Is that what we just read? A good man brings good things up out of the good stored in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The words we use reveal what's going on in here, in our hearts. I mean, stop and think about how this plays out in your life. We've all blurted out something in a heated moment that when we look back, we, we wish we'd never said it, right? And we all know what it's like to say something and then regret saying it as soon as it leaves our mouth, right? We want to pull it back. No, I don't mean that. But what Jesus is saying is that hurtful words or gossip or hate or lying are not really a problem here in the tongue. They're a problem here in our heart. That, that hurtful words, gossip, hate, lying, sarcasm, the words that come out of our mouths are an indication of what's going on inside of us, inside of our heart. That words are powerful and words are revealing. And if what's coming out of your mouth or showing up on your Facebook post is not what you want it to be, if you find yourself speaking words that are harsh, listen, even if they're true, you might want to ask yourself, like, what's going on in my heart? What is going on with me? Why do I feel the need to say these things? Do these words I'm saying really reflect who I am in Christ? Would Jesus be proud of the words I'm using in this moment? Do these words provide me a greater platform to talk about Jesus? Or are they driving people away from me? And more importantly, away from him. I just want to show you one more phrase that I think would be way too easy to pass over. Back in James 3.8, notice what James says about the position we find ourselves in. But no human being can tame the tongue. There's no sugarcoating what James says here. He's saying, hey, your tongue is going to reflect what comes out of your heart, and you can't do anything about it. You cannot tame it. No human being can tame it. So where does that leave us? Like, is there any hope? If we can't tame our tongue, and our tongue is the most powerful muscle in our body, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, can I just say then, well, you know, that's just who I am. 
That's just the way I talk. That's just the way we joke around. You just have to learn to accept it or, or you know, leave me alone. No. Where does it leave us? Well, hopefully it leaves us desperate for Jesus. We're desperate for Jesus. That he came and he lived a perfect life that we could never live. And he died the death that we deserve to pay for the sin that we committed. And then he was raised from the dead on the third day to show that he can overcome anything in our lives, including our tongues. That even though no human being can tame the tongue, Christ can. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to help heal what's going on in our heart and to help control what comes out of our mouth. Goodness and self-control are fruits of the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit's living in you, then the Holy Spirit can do the job of taming your tongue. That's the hope that we have. Thankfully, Jesus did that for us. And that's the good news. And if you struggle with your, word, your words and his Holy Spirit is convicting you today, I just want to ask you to consider some next steps that could be helpful for you. I've got five steps here, and I didn't put these in your notes. Maybe I should have, but you can write them down if you want. But here's the application for today. I've got five things I want to tell you to do. And uh, they basically come down to repent, apologize, meditate, think, and speak. I'm going to give them to you one at a time, okay? First is this, repent. We have to repent. Repentance is a daily occurrence for us. It's a daily discipline of laying our sins out before the Lord. Whether it's talking down to a spouse, criticizing someone unfairly, chewing out a coworker, um, gossiping, we sin against the Lord when we do these things. And part of your time with the Lord each day could be repentance, like giving an account for the, the words that you've said, the words that you've used, what you've said unfairly, where you've fallen short, like seeking the Lord's forgiveness and guidance. And then once you repent of it, you can move on from it. Right? So we repent first. The second thing we have to do is apologize. If you've hurt somebody in your life, you, if they've been hurt by your words, you may have to, if it's appropriate, go to them and apologize. And as part of that apology, there may be a reconciliation that needs to happen. That you need to restore that relationship or start down that path of restoring that relationship. And as we get more aware of the words we speak, as we become better at this, because if you practice this, you will become better at it, as you become better at this, um, we get better at recognizing when those words come out of our mouth. And then the, the time between when we say them and when we start this process isn't as long. And sometimes we can catch ourselves in the moment when we say something and we go, you know what? I'm sorry for that. I should not have said that. That was not appropriate. That should not have come out of my mouth. Right? So we repent. We apologize. The third thing is to meditate. We have to meditate on Scripture. Because, Jesus says, the words that come out of our mouth originate in our heart, what we put in our heart is important, right? And so uh, if you spend hours watching or listening to or reading things that are not building you up and growing you in Christ, that's what's going to fill your heart. If you watch a lot of bad language or violence or, or sex on television or in movies, that's what's going to fill your heart. And so we need to meditate instead on Scripture. We need to fill our heart with the good things. And James is trying to grow and mature these Christ followers. Remember that? We're not going to grow. We're not going to mature apart from time in God's Word. The more we fill our hearts with, and minds with Christ, the better we're going to be at speaking words of truth, words of life, right? So we, we repent, we apologize, we meditate. The fourth thing, and this is the hardest one for me, is to think before we speak or before we post. 
I mean, just let's go back to social media and think about how easy it is to make a poor choice in social media. Again, it's not a bad thing, but we know that social media has been abused in so many ways, and there's so much divisiveness and so much rage evidenced on social media. And I just want to challenge you not to participate in it. Don't contribute to it. You know, don't post anything, tweet anything, retweet anything, favorite or like anything that isn't good for your relationship with God and your relationship with people. We're all made in the image of God. Tearing someone down on Twitter, on Facebook, on Snapchat, as much as we may dislike or disagree with him, is tearing someone down who at the end of the day has been loved and created by God and who Jesus came to die for. And James reminds us, you shouldn't curse people with the same mouth that you praise God, right? If you've got a problem with someone, at the end of the day, go to them directly. And if they're a celebrity, you don't know them, you can't get to them personally, don't stalk them, please. Um, but keep it to yourself. Let's not ruin our witness and our example by contributing to the growing firestorm of criticism in our world today. So we repent, we apologize, we meditate, we think, and finally we speak life. Every day, try to speak encouraging words to people. One of the ways that you can change the, the things you say, say fewer negative things, is to say more positive things. So if we speak life to people, um, you know, Truett Cathy, who is the founder of Chick-fil-A, is famous for saying, how do you know when someone needs encouragement? They're breathing, right? We can find ways to encourage people, encourage our kids, encourage our family, encourage our friends, encourage our coworkers. Let's be encouraging. I read a book several years ago by management guru Ken Blanchard. And uh, Blanchard and Barbara Glanz, in the book, he tells about this. Uh, Ken Blanchard and Barbara Glanz did some training with 3,000 frontline workers at grocery stores and retail outlets. They're doing customer service training, and they talked about the power of words and how what you say really does make a difference in people's lives. And Blanchard uh, writes this. A month later, Barbara, this is a month after they did this training, Barbara got a call from a guy named Johnny who was at the training. Johnny told her, I'm 19 years old, I have Down's syndrome, and I work as a bagger at a grocery store. He said, I liked your talk, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I went home and talked with my dad, and we got an idea. My dad and I sat down at the computer, and every day we came up with a statement that is affirming of people. It's encouraging. If I can't find one in a little quote book, I'll make one up. We type it up six different times on the computer. I print off 50 sheets and cut all of them. So he's got 300 of these uh, little quotes. And then every night, Johnny signs each one of them personally. And then the next day at the grocery store, he puts the stack right by where he bags the groceries. Uh, he gets everyone's groceries bagged up. Then on the last sack, he puts the quote of the day, an encouraging word, in the sack. He makes sure he looks them in the eye and he says, I put something very special for you in this sack. I hope it will brighten your day. He'll take them out to their car and help them load up. Johnny does this every single day. Barbara said after about a month, she got a phone call from the manager of that grocery store. He said, Barbara, I can't believe it. Something really amazing is beginning to happen. I was walking around the store and I noticed while we had lots of checkers at the checkout line, there was no one there but maybe one or two people. But the line where Johnny was doing bagging went all the way back to the frozen food section. True story. He said, I would tell them over the intercom that there were other lines you could move over to. We would all walk down the line and tell people there are other lines open, but people would just look at us and say, no, we'll wait, because we want Johnny's encouraging word of the day. One woman came by and grabbed the supervisor, and she said, I used to only come to the grocery store once a week or every other week. Now I come almost every day, and I buy something just so I can get Johnny's encouraging word for the day. About a month later, the store manager called Barbara and said, it's changing our entire culture of our store. 
Even in the floral department, when a flower was broken, they used to just throw it away. Now they walk out onto the lines on their own initiative and they pin it onto an elderly woman or young girls and they brighten their day. You know, there are a lot of people on the org chart at that grocery store, but Johnny is the most important person in the building. I'm telling you, he's changing the lives of people in that store. Johnny the bagger, as he's speaking words of life and words of life can change a culture. It can change a group of people. It can change a company. And folks, if it can happen at a grocery store, it can happen at a church. It can happen in a family. You know, this is a, this is a place where we, we speak life to one another. We're a community that says we're not going to gossip. We're not going to share stories that we hear. We're not going to share hearsay. We're not going to engage in this deadly poison that can destroy lives and family and people. We're not going to spread those stories. Like, we're not going to hear them and pass them on. We're going to put a stop to them. And instead, we're going to share words of life with one another. It's a hard world, isn't it? Don't you get enough of that out there? You don't need that in here. You've got enough words of anguish and anxiety and pain and death in our culture. It's all around us. You have people that work with you that can cut you down into subatomic particles with their sarcasm. You don't need to get that here. But when we walk in these doors, we want to encourage one another. We want to speak words of life. In our small groups, we want to make a commitment that, that we're going to speak words of life. When you come together in your small group, what that means is that uh, if somebody's going through a tough time, we're just going to say, I know you're hurting. I know you're feeling all alone. I know it doesn't make sense right now. I know you don't understand what God is doing, but he's good and he's there and he loves you and he cares for you and we care about you and we're going to walk down this road with you. You don't have to do it alone. Speaking words of life. What would it mean for you to be a Johnny with your words? How could your relationships change? How could your your family change? How could your school change? How could your workplace change? What influence could you have on others? How much better would you be at pointing people to Jesus? Are you going to have a chance to practice that this week? It's Thanksgiving. You know, in Thanksgiving, we're often around people that we're not around but one or two times a year, and in a lot of cases, for very good reasons, right? We have an opportunity this week to not just dread the whole experience, not just walk around like a sad sack, not just, it's time for me to speak some truth to my brother-in-law. We have a chance to speak words of life with people as we get into our Thanksgiving dinners. We have a chance to put this into practice. Be a Johnny with your words. Don't tear down, build up. Don't criticize, encourage. It's the most powerful muscle in your body. See what happens when it's used for good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, tough love. Thank you for tough love. Thank you that you remind us that you spoke all of eternity into existence with your voice, that our words are powerful. And that while we don't have that kind of power behind our words, we have the power of life and death, of of darkness and light. We have the power of encouragement and fear in our words. Help us to choose wisely this week. Help us to be Johnnies with our words. Help us to be encouragers and not discouragers, to be builders and not tearers down. Lord, we love you, but we need your spirit to do that in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we go, one other thing. I just, we don't have a song uh, to close the service with. I just want to close the service with this. As I was uh, thinking this week about how, we might wanna, how I might be praying for you, as you go into the, some of these relationships that might be difficult, might be hard, I thought about this prayer. This prayer is from Psalm 19. And I thought I would give it to you as a way of giving you something to take with you as you go this week. And then I thought, you know what? We should just read this together and pray this together as a church. So 
If you're able, would you stand? And let's just read this prayer together. You can take this with you, um, and you can do this. You can pray this this week whenever you're tempted to speak words of death or words of darkness. Um, let's say this together. Ready? May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One more time. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'll be praying this for you this week. Uh, if you got the notes cards when you walked in, this verse is at the bottom. If you didn't, it's on our app. Uh, you can take this with you into your family gatherings, into your workplace, wherever you're going this week, and remind you to speak words of life to people. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Bye, everybody.